0: Kiwi Music Icon's Op Shop return home to Christchurch for the Man Down Benefit concert this New Zealand Music Month. Performing live at the Good Home Ferry Mead on Friday, May 21st with very special guests, Gorilla Biscuit. All proceeds will go towards supporting a childhood friend of the band in his hour of need. Op Shop with Gorilla Biscuit, one night only at the Good Home Ferry Mead, Friday, May 21st. Get your tickets now at eventfinder.co.nz. Welcome to Don't Give Up Your Day Job, the podcast, the only podcast you need. My name is Danny McCrum, and that was a short segment that the guys from Op Shop asked me to play to promote an upcoming gig that they have in Christchurch uh, to support a friend of theirs who has had uh, a health thing happen. Um, I'm not sure how many of the details are public, so we'll leave it at that. Um, But they're raising money for their friend by putting on a show. Um, It's a great chance to see Op Shop play in a more intimate venue, and the other band playing Gorilla Biscuit, who's I think made up of some of the Op Shop members and a number of other people from their group of friends down there, Um, Gorilla Biscuit were playing together years ago and sometimes get back together um, to perform, and I hear that they're fantastic. So um, yeah, buy your tickets, especially if you're in the area and keen to help out and keen to see a couple of great bands play, get buy your tickets. Today on the show, we have the one, the only, Mike Chun. I don't know if I need to introduce Mike Chun, Split Ends, APRA, Player Strange. He's done a lot, he's had a busy life, he seems to have boundless energy, he's always involved in something. Um, Very interesting dude, and I thoroughly enjoyed this recording. So this is my conversation with Mike Chun. So you are saying before that you don't own a bass amp. Is that because you don't play, or is that because we, when no, you go I places, play, they provide? No, I play, but... What was the last one I owned?
1: <laughs> a Fender Bassman 100, which I bought in 1974. Nice. No, I, I just want a good one, and uh, what was the last thing? Um, the greatest pub gig in the world. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I fun. had... We all shared the Ampeg SVT. Right. I was happy as Larry. Awesome. <laughs> Time before that... Would have been. Oh, you know what I quite like. See, I don't like to hear myself.
0: What? Why not? No,
1: it's just I'm odd. <laughs> and so. No, no, no I need less. I'm <laughs> happy to go through the sound system. Right. Because they've got a better sort of sound system mm. than I might have in a four x twelve cabinet and a Marshall one hundred or something. So, I, I was once playing with Neil Finn at a Stratford Productions Christmas party. Right. And I was going to do about two or three songs for them and boom, the amplifier, whatever it was, blew up. Hmm. And so it it was deathly quiet. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) Some guy came up to me and he said, that amplifier wasn't going. I said, no, no.
0: (laughs) Lucky me. Doesn't that, and do you play by? I play better. But do you play by muscle memory then? Like you don't need to hear? I don't need to hear it. (laughs) Well,
1: it must be muscle memory. Yeah. It's also deep, highly intellectual application. Right. You know, so if I was doing dum, 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 boom, 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 what's that song? Dum, boom, boom, boom. Uh, you know, um, you know fucking <laughs> message to my girl. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. I just know how it goes. Right, yeah. So I was But right? if, if yeah. I can hear myself clearly, I feel naked.
0: That's interesting. I'd rather be clothed in armour of silence. I kind of get what you mean to a point, because I used to tip my amp back and point it up to my head. Oh, that, that's that, an it, appalling idea well yeah, I know I now know <laughs> I was talking to another friend of mine who's a guitar player and he was like no I just put it there and pointed at my feet like it, it's too much you know
1: but guitar players are a different breed that's why I would never play guitar because <laughs> one I, th- I think I play the bass because I have to play with other people right and by playing the bass you have to play with other people yes whereas I know guitar players are quite happy to pick up an acoustic guitar and stand up on stage and sing alone, right to get it, know about it. <laughs> That's so, intense yeah. to do. I get it. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it, 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 I'm a somebody. I'm needy. No, I'm not needy. No. You like Lead, singer, lead singers. Yeah, I like. I love the unity of the yeah. bass and drums. Mm. Yeah. 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 So for me, playing with beatniks, we are as tight as a nun's pussy, mm. <laughs> and it's all about just being like completely knit.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Anyway, what are we talking about?
0: <laughs> it started. This is it. Okay, this cool. Is, I this don't is, mind. Yeah, whatever is what you want to do, whatever we say, it's all cool. <laughs> what? What do you? Do you still sit down and play? And you? No, I never have. Really? No.
1: Oh well, I have. There are three instruments that I love. Right. One is the bass, which is all about playing with other people on a stage, where there's large an audience as can be mustered. Yeah. And that's the only time I ever play a bass. I never practiced it. I never got a lesson or anything. I mm. don't give a sh yeah. for me it's all about showing off that's what <laughs> it I'm going to show off and play the bass right the piano I love the piano. I only ever played it at home and it I see it as an intellectual fitness exercise so right, yes. i'm I, a girl a woman I know who taught my kid my bro- my son when he was young was at a Christmas party or something and she sat down at and just played this piece and I, yeah. thought, I said what is that? She said Chopin's pretty number four in E minor so I went to music notes and so now I have it you know, whatever for me it's because I don't want to go Lily. I saw the movie which looked like it was about me the father oh, okay. Anthony Hopkins You yeah, haven't seen it it's about me. <laughs> and I thought, no, I'm going to learn, not only learn how to play it by reading it, mm. but I want to memorise it. Right. That it's going to, So that's what, p- piano is a very alone instrument with mm. me. I, I never play it to people. That sounds like the right reason to play, though, doesn't yeah, it? Was, yeah, because I'm reading, having to read the music. Yeah. You know, I'll even get a sort of pretty cheap and nasty well simplified version of Rachmaninoff second piano concerto in <laughs> C minor yeah and, and I've been at that so long I can now pretty much play it without the music right yeah. so that's all good and the other thing which I love doing is getting a six string acoustic guitar ideally with Barney he's my son he's 30 30 mm-hmm. 31 yeah we've done it a lot and drinking and singing songs right so we do things like orderly Sunset better than the kinks.
0: <laughs> so, But it sounds like you've got it figured out. Like you play music for the right reasons. You play music to soothe yourself and to there, promote there, there. Oops. Yep. yep.
1: So and, I mean, I'm not... To connect with people. I'd never play a keyboard on the stage. Right, yeah. I would never play a six-string guitar on a stage. Because
0: my philosophy... And I would never
1: play a bass anywhere but on the stage.
0: Because my philosophy is that that should be the reason why you play music and... The other stuff is is also cool if it happens. Like if you turn it into a career, then that's great. But the reason why you play should be that personal connection. Yeah. You know? So and the reason you play it does evolve, with age. So yeah. originally,
1: I loved being up on the stage because I, I could show off. <laughs> Two, I wanted to be good. Right. You know. Um, Pursue the craft. with my base, my first base was 30 bucks. At yeah. Tesco. Oh yeah. I wanted to be in a band that was really good. Yeah. Luckily Tim Finn was in my class yeah, at that, school. That worked out for you. <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> yeah. Four, I wanted to school lots of chicks. <laughs> and I did say that rugby players, they probably did, but you know, they were smelly and sweetie, and they couldn't. Mm. Although well, John Kilowon said to me, "I said, listen, mate, I'm on stage. I'm, I'm playing the bass. I might not play that verse." <laughs> and I said, "You can't do that, Nancy. Yes, I fucking can." He said, "I run. I, I run so fast, no one can catch me. So I'm just looking up, and someone's holding up their phone number.
0: <laughs> He's got a sense of humour, right?" And so you, um, you recently wrote your autobiography. What was that like to go through? Was that a ca- I a like doing thing? it because it, it yeah. is very cathartic for me.
1: Yeah. yeah. Especially because I had shied away in the Spirits book from my phobic disorder. Mm. And then I sort of was asked to do the Seven Voices book, which is an indulgent crock, really. Right. Didn't sell any copies. Right. I don't know why Alan Unwin took me out for a coffee mm-hmm. and said, oh, we'd like you to write us a book. Yeah, And I did think, why? She said a memoir. So I thought, oh, here's a chance to actually explain... Especially because my children, say so two years ago, were 30, 28, 23, mm-hmm. and 17. So they probably needed to hear me tell the story yeah, without sitting down at the dinner table and going on and on and on for hours about it. <laughs> so, and you know, it's been good because it's opened up discussion about taking LSD an and yeah. all the wrong things you, you can get into in life
0: under the guise of experimentation or adventure. Did it help you, though, get a different perspective on the way things had unfolded and who you were? Like, was it, did you kind of let yourself off the hook a little bit more in some ways? No, I was an idiot. (laughs) The opposite. Uh, No, not really. (laughs) Right.
1: No. uh, I enjoyed doing it, Mm. and there probably are positive repercussions, but I didn't worry too much. About analysing that, I just thought uh, it's something I enjoy doing. Yeah, and my father was a great writer, mm-hmm. and so I just thought, oh, I'll do one, I'll do one more for you, Dad. Uh, so I tried to write well, <laughs> 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 you know, oh, I think I'll do a bit of, I'll pretend to be G.K. Chesterton or Hilaire <laughs> Ballock or yeah. Graham Greene, all the ones my father adored, you know, right? Anyway, so it, yeah. it was a great three months or something and then it was finished
0: god that's not long
1: no but i am a bit of a spew you know i never edit. no one eat it i don't need it. it's um you just you just get into it's it like playing the bass someone yeah. said to me uh oh, i left the chart that i was going to give you at home and i said that's where it's got to stay <laughs> i don't don't give me a chart i'll screw it up right yeah don't tell me what to play because it'll ever it'll put you in your head right no, I just don't. From the minute I owned a bass in 1967, well, no one else played it. Right. Know, Sacred Heart was a weird place. So I just made up all my bass lines and it just became something. you know. So if there was a great riff, you know, mm. like Molly Wilkinson wrote, Down, da, 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 boom, boom. I'll do that. <laughs> but then I loved this whole thing of, okay, the song starts, you know, one, two, three, four. And someone like Judsy would go, are you going to play? I say, no, I'm not going to play until the chorus comes in. <laughs> Why? I said, I don't know, but I just like it that way. And I've always had
0: quite long periods of silence on my bass in the songs that I played. I mean, that's actually really hip. Like, that's that's really progressive. Like, that. you know what I mean? I can't think of many bass players who would have done that back then. Right? I've done it my whole life. Uh, like, when we we had the song of Citizen Man
1: called Dig That Text. Yeah. Um, down, 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 down. That's great, Clark. Yeah. and I'm standing there looking at him. He's looking at me like, you mm, fucking <laughs> typical. And then they come in together, down, down, and I'm just like. And then Jeff goes to the mic and goes, T, and I come in. T is for nothing. Nothing. Right. I waited about sixty seconds. Like that's that's dynamics, right? I love dynamics, that's yeah. the word, that is, that's what it is, dynamics. Yeah. I don't like it when bands all start off together.
0: No, I agree.
1: Are you recording this? Yeah. I thought you might be. <laughs> hey, what have I said that I don't like
0: to do? You can tell me. Oh, well
1: that's it. all good, no we yeah. can keep, just keep talking, so here, you know, that's, so that's what, so it's a lovely day, it's a Tuesday. That's what it is. It's good. <laughs> and I'm looking around your beautiful room here. What have you got there, a Maton? That's cool. Yep, Maton. Got any basses? I've
0: got, oh, a, I've got a jazz squire over there. Far, the
1: next far too long, far too skinny. <laughs> My favourite bass on stage yeah. is the Gibson EB3. Oh, yeah. 1967. Wow, that's cool. Summer of love. Yeah. 30-inch flat wound strings. You can't beat it.
0: I've got to say, like, you know, Squire is obviously the cheaper model, but I'm quite impressed with what they're putting out oh, these yeah. days. I only need a cheapie for, like, recording and whatever, for demoing and stuff, but because um, I'm not a bass player, obviously, but um, it's a pretty good bass, you know? Yeah, I mean, it,
1: I think the science of what makes something sound good is, although, you know, what really interests me is that you'll look at a 1957 Les Paul and look at an... 2021 Les Paul they made them perfectly almost from day one yeah that's right like pianos yeah <laughs> I don't have Oh, back in 1722 there was a an 87 and a half key piano no they were 88 and they've
0: always stayed way. <laughs> have you heard about the the um, difficult situation that Gibson have been in recently where they've become their own main competitor and they've been on the verge of going out of business I think they actually almost did at one point. On I mean, a different brand name. No, they. what the, the problem was is that now there are so many decades of Gibson guitars being sold that people go and buy the second-hand ones instead of the new ones. So they're actually, their old product is, they're competing against that and not winning. Exactly. Isn't that a strange anomaly? And that's surely only going to get yeah. worse, right, for all companies. Well, that's basically
1: everybody worse. adores my Gibson EB3, even yeah. though it may not sound better than a modern one.
0: That's a relative comment though, right? But it looks good. Yeah.
1: And, and the really, cool. a bass is a bass is a bass. Right, and and I see them like racing cars. Hmm. It's who's driving the car, not really how you know who made the car. Yeah, it's or it's a relationship. if you gave if you gave Paul McCartney my thirty dollar Tesco, hmm. and back in time, and he because I got that in nineteen sixty seven. Right, and he sat down in Abbey Road two and played the bass on Penny Lane. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Played on a Tesco. And then he gave me his Hofner, right hand version. We're just pretending. Right. I would have sounded like shit. <laughs> so. I don't know if that's true. I think it's the performer. Right. Or, you know, you give Eric Clapton a, a, a um, Tesco. Yeah. He's still going to
0: sound beautiful. Of course. Yeah, but I think does. you need to give yourself the same compliment, right? Like when you look back at the old days and all those classic songs that you played on and so on, do you give yourself the the, the room in your head to go, man, I, I did a great uh,
1: job? You know, I think there was a certain fraudulent aspect to me as a bass player. <laughs> really? I do. You Are know, you not I, I, a, I well, Paul, Paul I, I used to... I was a big ticket fan. Yeah. And I was in a three-piece... Covers band called Moses, right. and we'd go along and see ticket somewhere like the University Cafe or uh, Johnny Tabler's nightclub, mm-hmm. and I'd watch him and I think, shit, he's good. Yeah. Like, and then I bought the the album Awake, and then he played at the biggest pub gig in the world with the Hollow Sailor lineup. Yeah. And I looked at him and I thought, you know, I've never come close to you, brother. You know? Although I did take him out for one, for lunch once because I wanted to just grill him. And he used to practice. So I thought, I've got one up on you. I never practiced. <laughs> right. I right. like him a lot. I think he's a beautiful bass player.
0: Yeah. But you're describing um, imposter syndrome, right? Which I think is, is, is almost a standard for all musicians. Uh, yes. Because what you just said about there's always someone better. I mean, that's true for all of us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you listen to uh you listen, well, McCartney, I just can't believe what he does. But you, no, listen, you listen to Bruce Thomas, mm. Elvis Costello's band. Mm-hmm. Man, he's good. But he's almost too good. <laughs> <laughs> so when I had realised that in the very first days of the that I was in a band, actually, that was really good. Right. You know, there were rehearsals and Koei Marimo and I would stand there thinking, I can't believe how good this band is. Yeah, and so yeah. I thought I need to listen to some bass players, you know, right. with, with with a view to perhaps ripping them off. <laughs> and so uh, there was only one really uh, in Moses, our three-piece band that played all these suburban hall dances and stuff. Lucky to be alive, really. <laughs> Dennis Dunaway and the Alice Cooper band. So we were playing Alice Cooper tracks like uh, "Still Got a Long Way to Go." Mm um 18 and all that kind of stuff and his playing i thought oh you know he's good but he's not so good right that i can't kind of rip him off yeah so and when halo of flies came out with that thing at the start he does some like m- melodic lines when we were doing walking down a road the first track on mental notes i thought okay dennis time. So I had to do this thing like Yes, that's Halo of Flies. Yeah. And I felt good about it. Really good. Yeah. But I, you know, then someone like Bruce Thomas comes in and I think, oh, I ain't going to try him. No, that's, because he's a jazz player. So all that. Right. Also, I've only ever used a pick.
0: Yeah. And... Which is controversial, isn't it?
1: I come across a lot of school kids because mm. of play Strange Wilderman. Yeah. I go up to the bass player. Do you use a pick? Oh, no. I think oh yeah, fucking don't use a pick. You should yeah. use. A pick. I don't say that. <laughs> Do you have flat wound strings? And I brush my finger on the. Uh, I say the are round wound. He says, well, "What are flat wounds? I think, oh my god, <laughs> they don't realise it. Carol Kay used a pick on flat wound strings. Yeah. Just listen to, she was on Good Vibrations, wasn't she? I don't know. Yeah.
0: Boom, boom.
1: What a sound. It's kind of had the right. click on the front, but that kind of warm follow through. Anyway, I'm raving that. I,
0: I, no, I, well, I do find, though, that there's a lot of like idealism around these things, and, that, and that's why I say it's a controversial subject, because I've heard a lot of arguments about bass players whether they should use picks or not. And I've always thought, who cares? Like, isn't it about the the, the art you end up making? And, yeah, so, it's the sound yeah. you want. Yeah. And that tends to be the sound that you loved
1: as as a in the formative years, of say, 13, 14, 15, 16
0: years old. Right. Uh, but There are lots of young guitar players that I've come across um, in Auckland who are really anti using a pick on the guitar. Oh, that's stupid. And of course, it's stupid. But I I'm like, help. but I always say to them, like, would you eat soup with a fork? And i are like, of course not. And I'm like, well, it's just a matter of like, what you need to do, right? You know, you, can, you don't want to like, write off one whole area of your playing, surely.
1: But I have to be honest with you, I actually don't mix with, really, mm-hmm. socially, especially. Or talk to anybody about music,
0: <laughs> right? That seems unlikely.
1: So, a com- no, it's absolutely true. Right. So, the only person I've ever talked to about bass yeah. is Paul Walwright. Right. And that's only been recently. So, are you saying you avoid I,
0: conversations about music? Because uh, it is a bit tiring.
1: Well, my darling, beautiful wife is not interested in the slightest in talking about. <laughs> I took her to Midnight Oil, and she fell asleep. <laughs> And I think, good on you, you know. Yeah. She would take me to yoga and I'd, I'd run screaming out the door. Thinking, well, that's so boring. <laughs> but no, I don't need it. I think I lived a 100% rock and roll life in a band yeah. through my 20s. And then I popped out, you know, because I couldn't beat the phobic disorder. Right. And ended up, Doing all the other jobs, yeah. So I was a music publisher. I was a band manager. I was a record company boss. Mm-hmm. Um, wrote books. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, one thing I've never been as a DJ. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, here we are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I'm not really an
0: all an all out and out musician. Right. I don't know if that's the way to frame it, though. Is it? I mean, I mean, it's like. I mean, of course, you're a musician, but because yes, but. Well, I've never, ever seen it as a means to make money. Right.
1: It's a pursuit, socially and intellectually, probably. I love it when I play with people that I really like
0: and love. Do you think that a difference is, because, of course, you met some of the guys at school and you were working with them right from the start and that all evolved into what it became, do you think that meant that you hopped over that sort of step of being young and desperate and which would turn into ambition and or turn into something else?
1: Well nothing was gonna happen until Phil Judd arrived in Auckland. Right. We were the worst band in New Zealand. We didn't have a name. (laughs) Right. There was my brother on drums, Jeffrey, Mm -hmm. who was the first drummer in Springens. Yeah. Me on bass, Tim Finn singing. Graham Gash, you know, from Waves was Mm -hmm. with us. Yeah. And who was on guitar? Must have been Graham Gash. There might have been one other person. Right. And I think we only we did two gigs. We entered a talent quest at the Tarapa race course. Mm. It was judged by the keyboard player from the Peddlers. Right. This is 1971. Yeah. And we won. Right. Yeah, man, we got 500 bucks. We gave each other 100 each.
0: 500 bucks? That's huge.
1: That yeah. oh, massive. Back
0: then, that was like,
1: what, And we went out and got drunk. <laughs> we went out and got drunk. That was yeah. the end of the 500 bucks. <laughs> right. And Bob Gillies, uh, Bob was blowing a horn with us here, so he was, he was with us. He was yeah. such a great player. So he was, he's a true musician. Right. And he was vomiting into the hotel sink. <laughs> uh, yeah, the guy from the peddlers, the audience just didn't want to know about our winning, but yeah. we did. Right. Uh, and the only other time we played was at International House Student Hostel.
0: Yeah.
1: A band called Quick had the gig, and I don't know who got us the support act, So, and we didn't have a name, so we called ourselves Quant. <laughs> you like that? And we were just so bad. We didn't do one original. Right. We did songs like uh, Down by the River. Oh, Nguyen. yeah, Yep. Tim Finn sing it. Yeah, he must pray that no one's got a photograph or a recording of it. <laughs> I would have been out the back with my diplomat bass.
0: But I mean, you must have been pretty good. You won a competition, and obviously the band ended no, up. I know. Yeah, but the band ended up going on. I mean, I know. I know. Sometimes it takes people to, time to develop, but there must have been some well, some indication. I, I, there, I left
1: right? that band and joined Wally Wilkinson and Elmer and right. Moses. Right. All of a sudden, that sort of felt like a band. Yeah. No, I'd love to take you back to 1971 yeah. to see Quant, <laughs> And you would go, I can't believe this yeah. tawdry experience you're putting me through. <laughs> right. But then you had to be there really t- when Judy and Tim sat down and sang their three songs because you it was like one of the great epiphanies. Yeah. Uh, and it was a glorious, That I knew straight away. Something was going to go. Yeah, it was good.
0: So when they got on, you know, when they started writing their own songs, you mean? Yeah, they ca- yeah. they
1: turned up in my bedroom. Right. Sat down and played the three songs. Yeah. So I just asked them if they wanted the bass player. <laughs> why wouldn't you? <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, that's why we're here, said to myself, okay, they're <laughs> right, we're a three-piece. And they said, oh, we've got this violin friend and a flute player. Yeah. I had a sudden thought, of, are we trying to be Pentangle or somebody? But no, it was all good. <laughs> And but those rehearsals they would come along with a new with one or two new songs every Sunday
0: afternoon. And did it take Pretty much fun. to get the like at that point did the band just sort of lock in and
1: just locked in.
0: Yeah. Just found it. It safe.
1: seemed magical. Right. You know, a song like Stranger Than Fiction mm. the riff at the start is written by Miles. His name should be on the writing credits, guys. Yeah, and that's when Judgy and he would come in, you know. And and I don't know how it happened. Because Sometimes I think, how did we end up playing songs? I know where "Time for Change" came from because the first time I heard it, we had left the stage to sit down and watch Judgy sing it <laughs> and Miles play the solo on violin, right
0: kind of weird well you were talking about the Beatles before and about Paul McCartney's bass playing and I agree that he's just I mean I think he's underrated as a bass player mm. and what I was going to say is that I think each of the members of the Beatles were so much better than most people realise mm. but they get kind of buried under the weight of the actual Beatles you know I think George Harrison is uh, just one of the greatest guitar players in in the music. sound in a yeah. beautiful and you don't generally go Hendrix Clapton George Harrison he doesn't no. seem to make the list because the Beatles no. sort of you know, was too big, and and I think you could say a similar thing about split ends, uh, which I can feel you about to react to. But, no. Um, no, but you know, um, like there's a there's they're not actually simple songs necessarily. There's a lot of complexity in there, and the way that they weave together is kind of amazing. You uh,
1: know, I mean, I was shocked, right? Literally, uh, Judi would say, "Okay, uh, Tim, and I got a new song." Or oh, Brian, that was his name then. Yeah, we've got a new song. It's called Under the Wheel. Mm-hmm. But actually by then we had Eddie Rayner, which also catapulted everything to great heights of arrangement. And so in the early days, Spellbound. Yeah. Spellbound was that original lineup up with the violin. Right. And Judges okay, we'll, we'll just start off with this. Here. And I said... Okay, what chord do you playing? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> I said, Well, play a G. He said, I don't, What do you mean a G? <laughs> and what he'd done, he had tuned his guitar to E A E A flat B E. What? And he just stuck his two fingers on. I was oh, so it's
0: like a, so like a chord. Yeah, he had a chord. He
1: played the whole all six strings. <laughs> yeah. And then he just dropped one finger down. All oh, right. So what he was actually playing was B minor seventh to B minor flattened seventh. Okay. We only knew it was that once Eddie Rayner turned up and said, <laughs> "Okay, well that's it. what he's playing." <laughs> ah, is that what he's playing? Right. So there were times when I would play notes that had nothing to do with Judge's weird chords. Yeah.
0: Um, so was Eddie the like the dynamic in the band when Eddie appeared? Did would, did he was, did he sort of become musical director or something like, or, or the uh, arranger or something?
1: No, he just brought a massive sense of expertise to. We were quite amateurish, really. Okay. Yeah. So if you were at the um, the ballroom at Canterbury University in nineteen seventy three, mm. February, and watched us, you probably would have thought, "Oh, that's a bit shambolic, boy, a bit shambolic." <laughs> and we were, we, you know. Eddie came along. We were very careful not to tell him how good we thought he was. I see. Because it might have gone to his head. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone to my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he just turned us into a monster band. Right. Yeah. Because I've got a cassette of the first Buckerhead, uh,
0: and his presence from the keyboards is just out of this world. Was he? When you say he turned you into a monster band, though, was that... Simply because of what he played himself, or was he also saying, "Hey, Mike, you should change this note and change this?" Oh no, he
1: never told you None of us were, would ever entertain really being told what to play. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care what that means yeah. of us or about <laughs> us. But that was a You know, Judgy would say, "Here, I'm, I'm starting with these chords." Okay, well, Wally would go, "Ding, ding, 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 ding." I looked and I thought, man, some people are going to think you're not very good at playing the guitar, but stick with it. (laughs) And I did what I always do. Yeah. Nothing. Right. (laughs) I was just standing there watching everybody, wondering if there are any good-looking girls. This is kind
0: of an amazing strategy. You can't play the wrong note if you don't play anything. No, I love it. Uh,
1: No, well, you know, I did think we've gone to another planet. This is not... Life on planet Earth, uh, what, what, what's evolving so quickly? Yeah, and at the at the standard, I think you know, like just lyrics for example. Mm. Phil would turn up with you know lyrics that were just fantastic. Uh, no bother to me. What a beautiful song. Uh, what's the other one? May I look into the sea, sir? See, sir, see the circus that's here, sir. <laughs> uh, what's that called? Marnsbury Villa. Oh, right. Of Which course. is the yeah. name of their flat. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That's where we used to practice. Yeah. Uh, ah, yeah,
0: no, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was life, you know? And was it was it true that as you left, you suggested to Tim that he get Neil in?
1: Yeah, I can still see his face.
0: Yeah.
1: And Eddie and I, and Tim was sitting in a little room, and I'd said, Ernest Riddell doesn't want to join. And I said, but I've seen... After Hours, which had my brother in it, mm-hmm. Jeffrey, Neil Finn and Mark Huff, Buster Stiggs. Yeah. And a bass player, Alan Brown, I think his name was. And I think Neil should be the one to replace Judsy. Right. And Tim said, good idea, and rang him straight away.
0: And so had it, do you think it had occurred to Tim before that? No. Right. I don't think so. So do you now sit there and go, Neil Finn, Crowded House... Everything has happened uh, it's cause of you. <laughs> because of
1: because I felt bad because after hours
0: we're good. Yeah. Oh, I see. So you kind of broke them up.
1: Yeah, I broke them up. Right. And I, my brother had lost his band. Yeah. But then I came home. I wasn't really aware that agoraphobia is you have this safe place, you know, mm. safe haven. Whenever I meet somebody who's got it, first thing I ask them, and they'll always say, oh, well, actually, the only place I feel safe is in, in the flat. I right. said, right, well, you're that's bad news, dude, because you can't go down the shop? No, I can't go down the shop. Yeah, I could go anywhere as long as it was in Auckland. Right, okay. So I would come back from tours, go to my parents' house, parents' house to stay, and I felt so good mm. because it was where I felt safe. And so when I got back, I didn't think... Uh, oh, no, I mustn't go back in a band because we might have to go on the road again and I'll be freaking out and taking tranquilizers and all this shit. Yeah. I, I thought, oh, I feel good. And Jeffrey said, um, what do you think of the songs in After Hours? And I said, I love them. They're great. He said, did you, did you like the ones with, one with French words? And he said, here's a cassette. And so I played it. It was Julia. Right, yep. And I thought, that's bloody good. hmm So
0: we formed a band, citizen
1: band, (laughs) and we went out on the road and I went down in the screaming heap all over again.
0: Was that always there or had that increased over the the years?
1: It was always the same, susceptible to panic attacks, but I was lucky in that my father was a doctor. Right. And he would just send me, no matter where, where I needed them in the world, to top up a bottle of tranquilizer pills. Right. These days, those listening to this who take tranquilizers they're called lorazepam mm-hmm. but they're all they all come from benzodiazepam that's the core substance and i was able to exist with the this phobic disorder but really it was a hollow victory because tranquilizers do make you dreamy and sleepy. And mm. so I'd be the one in the back of the van with my head nodding up and down. And right. in the end, it was like having a blanket, heavy blanket on you all the time. Yeah. So I would be somewhere like Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do anything. In fact, the perfect example of what where I ended up was Linda, Linda Steiner, the... Publicity woman for Chrysalis Records came to the hotel room, the Hyatt and Sunset Strip, mm-hmm. which is deeply iconic, which we didn't know at the time. Right. I was rooming with Judzie, two really pathetic people by the stage, because he also, I believe he's socially phobic, but we won't go down that road because we've <laughs> never really talked about it. But right. Hey, what are you doing tonight, boys? It's night off. Yeah, it's a night off. We're sitting here and, it's, you know, we're locked in our room. Do you want to come and see... Uh, as Chrysalis has signed a new act and they're playing at the Roxy tonight on the Strip. It, they're called Blondie. Uh oh, no thanks. <laughs> That's what we said. Yeah. And Linda looked at us like, Oh, fuck you. <laughs> and free tickets down by the stage supported by... Another new signing called, oh, he died recently.
0: Um, had a beard. Uh, Joe Cocker?
1: No, uh, American. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the summer of 69. No, not that.
0: Wasn't that Don Henley?
1: Yeah, no, was it? Okay, who's the guy who just died? <laughs> um, With a beard. Huge not, hits. Not much to go on. Huge hits. He was just a kid. <laughs> right. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers.
0: Oh, Tom Petty. Oh, it's one of my favourites.
1: Tom Petty was supporting Blondie. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, so it was oh, a double,
1: yeah. you know. So we stayed, in, and Judgey and I watched a beauty pageant on the
0: TV. That's so funny. I know at the end he had a beard, but I didn't think, I don't think of him as a guy with a beard. He had a beard. Yeah, in the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we watched a beauty pageant on TV. Yeah. The only good thing about that was when the guy said to one of the women, because they asked them meaningful questions. Let's pretend her name was Charlene. So, Charlene, what would you do to make the world a better place? And now I want you to be patient, Danny. Okay. This is what she said. (laughs) And the guy said, Oh, yeah, I understand. Thank you. And she was so terrified, she didn't say one word. Wow. We thought that was really funny. But in a way, she was the same as us. Yeah. Stuck in that room. Pathetic.
0: So, but you were kind of lucky, I guess, to have a dad who was a doctor, right? Who could oh, identify. I would have had to leave the band. Yeah. I mean, like back yeah. then, mental health was what? Not talked about at all?
1: My old or... man said, listen, because I never gave him the details. I, right. I, I made it sound like I had stage fright, mm-hmm. which is a complete load of shit, because I would love to live my life. Permanently on a stage. Right. But anyway, so he sent me off to a psychiatrist and I explained to him what was happening. Yeah. I would have these sudden fizz uh, sensations through the body, leading to my being s- in- amazingly terrified, so much mm. so that I would like go into corners or uh, just hide from everybody backstage in the curtain. Or right. All sorts of weird shit. And the guy said, Oh, oh that's like, oh, it sounds like something you'll probably get over. And I left. Wow. I thought, well, stick that in, up your ass. Yeah. So I never sought professional help. Right. Yeah. I had it for
0: eighteen years. Oh, so you don't have it now? No, it's gone. It's not like a lifetime thing. I thought no, I, I assumed. Oh, be... some
1: people have you know. yeah When I came out sharply when when the book came out, right. I did get correspondences. Uh there's a beautiful one I'm gonna cry. Yeah, so people did email me and say, I've got that. Or, I got that when I was three and my father was killed in a car crash or something. Oh, and incredible yeah. dialogues started yeah. to come through, which is possibly, in the end, one of the major positive aspects of that book. And then I came out in detail about that disorder, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's. I mean, I, I, my understanding of the seventies and eighties and back then is that these things weren't talked about, which of course people suffered alone and didn't have clarity on what they were going through a lot of the time. And I I staunchly believe that talking about things more transparently Mm -hmm. is, is so helpful and healing to people. And, you know, and I, and I've always um, from a distance seen you as being one of these people and I'm guessing, assuming, projecting, um, one of these people who has proactively tried to take the lid off these subjects. Mm. As a way of helping people, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I'm happy to go on, Kim Hill, and say, yes, I uh, took LSD and then foolishly smoked Thai stick dope, and I went down in a screaming heap of fear. And and 18 years later, it left me. Mm. Then we have to talk about why did it leave me? Because I felt it leave me. I was in how's Sydney. How's it was in Sydney, and I thought I've got to get. The- I'm going on the plane, you know, in three hours back to New Zealand. Mm. i better take the pill now so it's, it's all in me. And, yeah. And then I went to the glove box with my hand and a sensation went through me and I brought my hand back, leaving the glove box unopened.
0: Wow. And I hopped on that plane and flew home. And what do you think had happened? It's complicated. Right. Do you think it was a lot of stuff building up to that moment?
1: I think that I'd ended up not in a band or anything and not part of a team alone. I had a fantastic marriage and mm. things. Yeah. I I think I always thought that I had failed to provide an environment of security for my family or even for myself. Financially, do you mean? Uh, I, I never thought about money. I hate money, actually. Right. But just... A sense of security, yes. whatever made you feel secure. <clears throat> I know what you mean, yeah. I had just got the APRA job. Right. And Brett Cottle, who I love, uh, sat me down at sales restaurant for like a second interview with him. I did think, "Ooh, I'd quite like to go out for lunch like this all the time. <laughs> anyway, sitting there, he said, I need to tell you something like that. What we're offering you, is very secure. Yeah. And I reckon my not thinking or analyzing on that, it just sunk in secure. And it is. I would say it's probably one of the best jobs. It's probably the best job the music industry could ever give you. Right. Is running APRA because it ain't ever going to go away. It's, you know. Yeah. After Armageddon,
0: mm-hmm.
1: there'll be a, a bird tweeting away. Hey, <laughs> Hey, Jude. And, Someone's going to pop out of the smoke and go, Hey, you need a license for that. Right. I'm from APRA. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And I loved, and then also I could sense that there were things that I that had come into my head mm. thinking about it. Do you want this job? Well, I said to him, Who's going to run APRA? Because the guy was, he was going to move it to Auckland. Brett Cotley said, Well, funny, should ask. And I said, Oh, he's asking me. <laughs>
0: Was it a case of like a, a kind of a tension being lifted off you? You know, like a, I think maybe subconsciously there's always a worry, especially if you work in the arts and, and you know, insecure careers. You were always worried about the next thing. But if you get an, an employment role, you're on a salary and you're in a safe team, then you kind of go, a lot of my stress is just gone.
1: Well, by now, I, I knew that to not have to take tranquilizers, I would live in Auckland. Mm. But then the music industry, it's a cruel game. Brutal. It's brutal. And so running Mushroom Records, I had to go and try to get Radio Harriky to play the Dee Dee Smash single. I'd have to go into 1ZM to see if they wanted to play Coconut Ruffs, Sierra you know, Leone. Drive me mad. I hated all that shit, trying to get people to do things.
0: See, that's amazing to me because, like I know the grind from my own personal experience, but I'm also not the guy from split ends. you know what i mean like it's it's amazing it, that it's it's hard for you too, or it's been hard for you too
1: no one gave a shit that I was in split ends right, <laughs> in fact, they probably talked quietly behind my back, like, "Hey, did you he hear me he left just before they cracked it right all that stuff and it and it's absolutely true I, I did uh but and then but. But the APRA thing had this beautiful purity about it.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: And I was going to be working for all the songwriters in New Zealand. Right. Of which there were, at the time, 4,500 or something. I thought, what an incredible job. Yeah. And then I knew about the Silver Scroll. And I remember once going to a Silver Scroll about 1990. I started working at APRA in 92. Mm. And everyone sat around eating and drinking wine and the five finalists' songs were quietly purring away in the background and they said, okay, now we're going to present the award and the five finalists lined up like a beauty pageant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) People like Dave McCartney, I looked up there and I thought, oh, you poor bastard, you (laughs) must feel really stupid and what if you don't win? Yeah. You've got to smile and clap whoever does win. (laughs) And there they were and no offence to them because I love him, mm. Ricky Morris one. Right. And he comes out and he gets given the silver scroll and the rest of them all clap and smile and they all go, go back and, and I thought, well, here's the music. You know, it's the silver scroll. It yeah. should be. So the first one I got, which was 93, we put it on at the power station and each one of the five finalist songs, I got a cover, cover artist, you know, and I did think, oh, how's this going to go, you know?
0: Yeah. When you say a covers artist because I know the Silver Scrolls these days, they, I assume and this is where it started, where yeah. someone else plays the song, right? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I yeah, tried yeah. that out at,
1: yeah. at the power station and I did think, what are the songwriters going to think? Right. So I got Bushbeat <laughs> <laughs> from South Auckland, Brown Brothers and Sisters. Yeah. Up they go. They were playing Jan, Hal Regal's grunge song. Let's call it grunge song. Can't remember the title. Right. And it, But they were going... Pfft a yeah. real kind of Ardija Yeah, sound. And I thought, okay, I better have a look. <laughs> Turned around, Jan was behind me, at the table behind me. I looked at her and she was like, this shock of joy on her face, like, holy shit, they're doing it better than I can. <laughs> I thought, right, that's it, we're going to do that every year. We're going to yeah. get... And I started to bring in Eddie Rayner <laughs> to find the artist. And I said, like, okay, Eddie five songs here they are you know yeah. headless chickens or whatever he, i've got an albanian band who translated it into albanian <laughs> I thought, oh man it's getting a bit out of hand but yeah. <laughs> it was fun i
0: can imagine the artists would love it because one yeah, i it, think it, so it, like seeing their own work be reinterpreted reinterpreted is always cool um but also it means they don't have to do anything they just have to that, that was you it you know they can have a night off i thought the last thing they want to do
1: let get up and play the song to everybody. Yeah. And so it, it's just in such common sense to have somebody else. Uh, and then it all came right, yeah, super right, when we went into the town hall. Right. Because mm-hmm. that's got such a history.
0: You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's where the Beatles that played. Was,
1: that, yeah, yeah. I, I stood on the spot where John Lennon stood.
0: Yeah, I I, I, that I, that I, that I that got Johnson. I got through to the um, national finals of the Rockwest when I was fifteen. Cool. And um and I was standing up there going, I'm standing where John Lennon stood, and then um and I was so excited. I don't think anyone else in the band gave a shit, you know. But um but then I realized years later I was wrong because uh, he didn't stand in the middle. I always thought he stood in the middle. No, he was on the right. Yeah, so I stood where Paul stood. <laughs> but it was still pretty cool. It's still um, pretty buzzy to stand up are there. What school you at? I was at McLean's College. I oh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's where Liz- Elizabeth Stokes went
0: when she got on our album. Oh, right.
1: The Beths. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So what? I, I, I'm interested to know what inspired you to start Play It Strange. Like, were you... Uh, I mean, obviously it's a positive thing, but were you addressing a, a problem that you had noticed? Or Well, you know what I, mean?
1: it, I just thought about the decades that I'd lived, because mm. by then I was 50 or whatever it was. 50. And how important to tens of thousands of people living in New Zealand these songs that they fell in love with were to them. Right. And then I sort of did a bit of homework and realised that songs had no presence in schools mm. apart from Rock quest, but back then I think it wasn't originals. You could do cover versions. A lot of bands did, I think. Also, Sean Fitzpatrick, I I know him, you know, Sacred Heart College and all that Catholic, (laughs) the different links. And so I was in a cafe with him. I was about to ask him actually to be a player Strange Trustee, which he did become, but Mm. this is before we'd actually formed it. And I said, I'm aware because I played for eight years of the presence of rugby Mm. in New Zealand, Schools, right? Especially secondary schools. Mm-hmm. And you dream of being in the first fifteen, you know. Yeah. I set my sights on the first fifteen at Sacred Heart, and I got to play two thirds of a game until that happened. I'm showing him the big lump on my leg where I broke it. Oh my God! And um, <laughs> why did
0: it why did it heal like that?
1: Uh, I don't know. It's <laughs> quite nice, don't you think? Big lump of calcium. It's it's interesting. In my leg. <laughs> Uh, it was my first taste and last taste of morphine. Was my, that a, my father gave it to me? Being a doctor, that plunged. looks
0: yeah, that looks like it was it. That looked like it snapped
1: right in half. Both bones snapped in half, and the leg went out sideways. Holy shit! While I was standing up, I had to somehow get to the ground. What? Yeah. Boom, oh my god! It was like a scene out of a, a DC Comics movie, right? Anyway, just quickly. Yeah. I said, "How important is that secondary school?" Um, you know, of, uh, infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. To the all blacks, he said there would be no all blacks right if there was no rugby in schools. Right. Yeah. I said, what the fuck's going on? Why isn't there <laughs> songwriting at schools? Yeah. Why don't those songs get heard mm. by the schools? And let's and so when the principal gets up on Monday morning, he says do-do-do-do-do is uh, in the, the Play It Strange and they're going into uh, the recording studios so we look forward to hearing the song. They'll play it in the second, also the First 15 Lost on Saturday, uh, 10 points to eight. Right. They only tell you about the First 15. Yeah. They don't tell you about songs. Of course, yeah. That's, so that, I started Play It Strange in the hope that that would evolve, that understanding that songs, and I guess I knew just how hard it is it's very very easy to write a song.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree.
1: Shall we? We, we could, could we do could it write right one now. right now. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> it's incredibly easy. So I'll I'll play a chord or two. I'll play The little baby. And yeah, we're just going to play. Yeah. Uh, you know, C, F and G. I've got this buggered finger. Mm-hmm. I've got rheumatoid arthritis. I got rheumatoid arthritis. <laughs> anyway, so here we go. By now, Eddie Raider would say, just start singing for fuck's sake. <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> the sun is shining and it's up in the sky. The sky is blue. I went to a movie and I took you. Now I think about you every day. It's true. I need a rhyme like blue (laughs) and then I solo okay
0: so we wrote a song yeah I like it it's a hit it's so easy yeah but then what do you do
1: well that song is absolute
0: shite (laughs) I thought it was good no one's gonna listen to it (laughs)
1: they're not I'm gonna release it it's so easy it's like and and Fitzy and I were talking away and I said you know people are happy to play rugby and yet be really bad at it. <laughs> that's right. Like my first game of rugby, I would have dropped the ball 100 times, etc. But songwriting, there's this thing that, no, I can't do it because I'm not going to write a song like Dave Dobbin.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: To write a song that thousands of people in your country, and maybe the world, want to hear again and again and again and again is so
0: difficult. Mm, yeah. But a lot of people don't know that. But it's also kind of a fluke though right like the idea is you write a lot of stuff and you put it out and every now and then something catches
1: well like, yeah, you think but then they... i was in that band like judsy and tim would turn up and hit and they've just written a new song and they there's they are songs that are on mental notes and yeah they're highly regarded oh, oh, and the beatles absolutely. must have been like that too they they didn't write a hundred thousand songs and only have 119
0: really good ones <laughs> no. Uh, I don't no, know. Like, uh, I, I, don't, I mean, do you reckon Dave Dobbins sits down and goes, right, I'm going to write a hit? Or do you think he just writes hit, loads he, I of I stuff? I don't
1: think he knows it's going to be hit. Like, that's what I mean. Neil Finn didn't like I Got You. Really? He sort of took it to the band and they and he said, I, I don't think much of it's a bit twee. I think that's what he said, <laughs> twee. And they said, listen, it's hooky, so we're going to play it.
0: Yeah. Little twerp, shut up. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing song. So my question is... is um, and I I, you know in other industries right now you've got a lot of kids um, qualifying at university and then going out into the world and there's a often not many jobs available you know I was talking to someone recently who qualified as a lawyer and they were then looking for a job for over a year and then she got a job as as a junior or whatever they start doing and she said there were 200 applicants and she got the job and I said wow what happens to the other 199 and she said "I, I don't know. And of course, that's becoming more and more of an issue in so many areas, right? But um, I was talking to Greg Haver on the last episode about how in the music industry, um, and I'm curious to know if you agree with this comment, that the top of the industry has served very well and that there's a lot of stuff now for the young people, but there's sort of a, a gap in the middle. Like when you get to early to mid-20s, unless you've become famous or something, what do you do and where are the venues and where's the career there? Do, do you agree with that? It's exactly the same as rugby. Right, is it? So,
1: like I said to Fitzy, how many... I met the guy at college sport. Mm. How many people play rugby on a Saturday? Yeah. Have a guess, Danny.
0: Like hundreds of
1: thousands. 160,000. Oh, right. How many get paid? Uh, 40? About 400, apparently. 400, okay. I didn't do (laughs) that. But that's a lot of people. Why do they do it? Yeah. Well, because there's a culture that... It's good for you, one. Two, it's hmm. social. Yeah. It's In fact, all the stuff that what of playing music is too. Right, yeah. Except you can do it till you're 85.
0: Right, yeah. Do you
1: want to hear this great little story? Uh-huh. So Barney, my son, and I were playing, I was playing, we were both playing guitar with Anna Mack. Yeah. At a conference in Hamilton. She was doing that beautiful song, Home. And we played it, and they all tap and I hopped off the stage, and... This guy who was he, like major in the rugby culture of Hamilton, mm-hmm. but had been a great player in his day, and he was also part of the charity that was you no know, the charitable grant body that was helping play strange blah, blah 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 blah, yeah." he said, "Mike, I'm burping because <laughs> your water's so good. What's it like being on stage playing with your son? Yeah. And I said, Bill, I forgot his name, I'm sorry. Bill, you've got sons? Yeah, I've got three sons. And they played rugby. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, they played <laughs> rugby. Mm. Did you ever go and watch them? Yeah, all the time. Okay, this is what it's like being on stage, playing with your son. Yeah, You're at the game. They're playing, they were at Hamilton Boys High, and they're playing St. Peter's. And St. Peter's are up two points. Three minutes to go. All of a sudden, the Lucy in in your boy's team has his leg broken. It's just like me. (laughs) And so your son, at the breakdown, calls over to you, Dad, Dad, come on, we need you to play Lucy. Yeah. And so Bill gets his boots out of his bag and puts on the jersey that he always takes to the game (laughs) and runs on the field. He's 63 or something. And down goes the scrum. And the ball goes to St. Peter's. All of a sudden, Bill spins off from the side of the ruck and smashes into the halfback, brings him down. The ball goes forward. Bill's son picks it up. He gets whacked. He throws the ball back to Bill, who runs through and scores the winning try. <laughs> right. Well, Bill was crying. Right. Because <laughs> that's a dream. Yeah. But I can do it with my boy. That's right. I played with him every year. Barney and I play yeah. on a stage somewhere. I mean, it's just beautiful. he's such a good player. Mm. So much better than me. <laughs> um, and so all of those sort of things, like I still get people saying, oh, you know." She wants a guitar and you know can we is there somewhere you can borrow them or something because mm. uh, you know I don't I can't see her making any money out of this thing or yeah I feel like saying does she play a sport oh yeah she loves netball. yeah and does she get paid for it <laughs> you silly man <laughs> yeah, can't even say that but <laughs> huh? it's exactly the same a life with the color of music in it mm. is a special life just like a life, how many guys play golf? God, right, stupid game. Yeah. But they, I agree, th- they see their lives as better. Yeah. And they can do it when there's 71. That's maybe. right. Yeah.
0: But that, I mean, you're talking about the imbalance in, in high schools, but it's actually just in, in New it's Zealand in thing, society. isn't society. Yeah. Because, because I, they all think they can't do it. And Exactly. And and I, really... I, my, my way of explaining that discrepancy is when someone wants rugby boots, they're going to spend hundreds of dollars on them. They want to play guitar, they buy the cheapest one they can find, which is basically what you were just saying. Uh, I, we don't, as a country, in my opinion, we don't invest in music. No.
1: But then the weird thing is, I, I got to know uh, Pat Patterson, the professor of poetry and lyric writing mm. at Berkeley College in Boston. Yeah, We had quite a bit of time together in New Zealand. And... He loves uh, the Planet Strange songwriting competition. Hmm. But I did say to him, so you must know, you know, how school's going in the rest of the world, like in America, and you you go to Europe all the time, France and whatever. Yeah. He says, Michael, he called me Michael. That means I'm in (laughs) trouble, just like my mother used to do. (laughs) No. New Zealand's the only country I've ever heard of with songwriting earning credits at school. Right. What the fuck? <laughs> England, Canada. Yeah, America, Brazil, France. You can't take songwriting. I thought we were just going to be tapped on the end of, of a list of them. Right. But apparently he said, it's the only one where I come along and hear songs written by kids that go into studios.: Wow. I
0: mean, that's that's, um, a recent thing. That definitely wasn't the case when I was at school. I don't know what's going on. But do you, um, with Play It's Strange, is there a conversation with the young people about what they should expect going forward, or do you you try to sort of set them up in any way? Uh, I will talk to them any time
1: any one of them wants to talk to me.
0: Right, okay. Yeah. Because it's kind of an impossible thing to answer, isn't it?
1: Well, I just say, listen you've got to go on stages. Yeah. You know, stage, stages, not in stages, on stages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there are some that think if you get on Spotify, you're going to have a hit and you're going to be listened to five million times. And Yeah. Um, I still see it as a celebration of life on a stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the craft of writing a song and then taking it to the studio, that is probably the most satisfying part of what we do because... Yeah. They walk in all bright eyed and bushy-tailed and thinking, well, what am I doing? Oh, I've got a clue. <laughs> uh, and the engineers, like, we go to quite a lot of studios every year, mm. and they all love the kids, and they do a lot of things for them in the studio. You know, the stuff is sound, sounding better and better every year, and some of the songs are amazing. Yeah. And some people say, oh, well, you know, no one hears them. I, and I say, yeah, okay, what school did you go to? I went to ABC school. Mm. So if Auckland Gammon is playing Sacred Heart fierce then do you go and watch? Well, no, I go and watch ABC. I said that's right. Yeah. So if your daughter ends up on Spotify, if play it strange, not many people that live in Grey Mouth are probably going to listen to it. Right. But she will, yep. or he will. Mm. And that's like playing for the first thing.
0: And, and, and I, I had similar answers on some of these questions from Greg, actually, where it was about, you know, the reason why you do it and, you know, re-engaging with the love of the craft and stuff, um, which obviously I agree with. I mean, that's motivated me all my life too. Um, it's it, in some ways, it's actually like a, a reflection of the fact that the, some of those things that were available in the past aren't really available anymore. Right. Mm. I mean, it's, there's there's no getting rich now and through those old, old models. And, getting a certain number of plays on Spotify that's not necessarily going to give you a big fan base or a big, you know, large income or anything like that. So is that... Am I right in saying that? That now we... Because a lot of stuff has sort of changed or ended or or whatever, the industry's sort of gone the way it's gone, now we are kind of forced to reconnect with the reason why we do it and just focus on that?
1: It's the thrill of it. Mm. So... I mean, there are avenues you can pursue. Like, did you watch Pop Stars last night? No. So Katie Lee Webster sang her song Dandelion and the three judges all said yes, yes, yes and she got picked with the callback. Right. She's going back. Yeah. She's very excited. Mm -hmm. Well, I should have gone there and said, you don't need to see her. She's fucking amazing. (laughs) She was on our album last year. Yeah. Uh, And I keep... You know, if someone really wants to talk about what makes the song good, I say, you can't play the same four chords through the whole song. Yeah. you got to think differently. Right. She plays the same four chords <laughs> through the whole song. Mm-hmm. It's called Lonely Hearts Club. Yeah. And it's got this great act behind I'm not a dime a dozen. <laughs> and I owe you nothing. Yeah. And it just, I thought, fuck. And so... We, we were doing a function at some some patron's house for the arts, art gallery. Mm-hmm. And this, he's, this the dad has all his stories. Uh, this dad's got a beautifully precocious 13-year-old daughter, and they, they asked me if I may talk to her about singing. Mm. So I thought, he said, why don't you put on something at uh, the art gallery function? Yeah. I thought, well, that'll be good, because they'll have champagne and stuff, and <laughs> I can drink it. <laughs> so I put together a band. Yeah um uh, with with Sammy the 13 year old and it's a long story but this this is music this mm. is singing songs not a string quartet in the corner right. while everyone's talking yeah i made sure everyone was deadly silent nice off we go it was um two planet strange songs that we we did and then i said now now we're going to bring out One of the great songs on last year's album. It's called Lonely Hearts Club. And to sing it with Sammy is Katie Lee Webster. Out comes Katie Lee Webster and stands up in front of them all, like, We better take a lot of note because I'm fucking amazing. (laughs) She's so cocky. She's from Pukakoe.
0: Yeah.
1: Goes to Baradine. She was in fifth form last year. I'm not a dime, it doesn't. And they were just like, Holy shit. You just got to front up. Mm. That's why um, when we did the Buckerhead concert at His Majesty's, and I looked at Tim, most of the show I saw his back. Right. Because he's the front man. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, you are just so in control of this environment. It's, you own this hall. You own those people. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing to witness somebody who exudes confidence on the stage even if, like Tim they don't have it off the stage mm, he said to yeah. me the week before that show I want to break my leg so I don't have to do this bloody
0: concert, I want to break my leg <laughs> I thought, what? I want to do a show every day of the week Right, yeah, well we had the um, we did a performance recently with Bonnie Huranui from Whitechapel Jack, oh, yeah. and she's like that and I said to her after the show, I was like man, you're just amazing on stage she just owned the room straight away and um, and I expected her to answer with some sort of self-deprecating, like, no, 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 no. But she goes, she goes, you know why? You know, you know why I'm good at it? And I said, why is that? And she goes, because I absolutely believe if I tell them to sing, they're going to sing. Right. If I tell them to clap, they're going to clap. And I'm not going to back down until they do. And I was like, man, <laughs> that's amazing. What are they called? Whitechapel Jack. They're a, and did
1: they play with an orchestra recently down the waterfront? Yes, they've done it right. twice. Yeah. Well, there's an autistic kid that we've had a lot to do with. Who yeah, plays at our sh- shows and stuff. He was in that orchestra, and his mother was there watching it. And she told me, "You've got to see this band." Yeah, Oh, what they're fantastic?
0: They? What you know? Are they local? Um, I, well, they 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 live in Auckland, and they they are a little. They started as a little covers band, um, and they have an unconventional. Set up with like a suitcase for a kick drum and double bass Uh and that kind of a folky sort of thing. And they toured around playing everything markets and weddings and whatever. And they just organically clicked with an audience. They found a little audience. And then I think it's been about seven or eight years, grew. And now there's a huge touring machine like making serious money. I must go and see them. They're fantastic.
1: She raved about them. Yeah.
0: And, um, they're all really good but when you see Bonnie perform you go she's kind of like you know the Freddie Mercury of the band you kind yeah. of go like the band's great but Bonnie's like you know um she makes the whole thing happen um, and now they're switching so they're still they do like reworked covers and stuff and now they're moving over to originals and they've just actually got a grant and they're about to go to the studio so, so it's Excellent. pretty amazing story Much there perfect. one thing I wanted to bounce off you um an yeah, idea man. I wanted to bounce off you and we can we can consider this our closer if you like. Um, Firstly, uh, do you agree that we have a shortage, especially in Auckland, when it comes to venues? Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. So I've been thinking, like, what do we do about that when you've got um, venues, of course, they're trying to make money as well, and most places are making money, you know, over the bar, and music's, you know, they might be a music venue, but it's not necessarily their top concern. You know, they're trying to stay in business. It's a tough industry, even if you're not doing music, you know. So what do we do about it? I don't know if you have any ideas about what, if you if you had all the power in the world, how would you improve our venue scene? Do you have any ideas first? Yeah, I do. Okay, go for it. So
1: I would return the state of affairs to what it was. Yeah. In the bubble of 78, 79, 80, when Citizen Band, The Dude, Street Talk, Flight X7, everybody was touring mm. and playing. We would play five or six nights a week. Yeah. Often different venues. Right. Okay. I would get rid of what now has killed it. Which is? No sport on TV at night. Yes. No gaming rooms. Yes. No cafe society. No one's allowed to open a coffee bar on K Road at all, ever. (laughs) Might be a harder one to get through, but sure. Okay. If you drive down K Road at, say, 11 o'clock on a Friday night, they're all full. Right. And the place is swimming. Yeah. In my day... You went there to get a hooker right. not that i ever did <laughs> uh there was no sport on tv uh hurricanes are playing the crusaders friday night seven thirty-five. 35. Mm-hmm. how many are watching it hundreds of thousands probably yeah in the gaming rooms so they threw away the stages and they put in the gaming room because a gaming society will give you say 110 grand or whatever um for the use of that room, mm. and they put in their eighteen machines. That's a lot easier, especially. And also, okay, one more thing. Yeah. Very important. No agents. So. Right. Agencies. So in our day, uh, Ernie Garnier at the glue pot. Yeah. Would ring up. Might call us. Yeah. Mike, I want citizen Band, Someone told me they're pretty good, you know, and they attract big drinkers. And okay, all of a sudden, oh, I break my leg. Uh, I ring Mike I broke my leg. I can't do the show on Friday. Okay. Mike rings Ernie Garnier Ernie, CB can't do it, but there's a band from Hamilton called uh, I Am a Rosebush. <laughs> They'll do it. Yeah. Okay, cool. We'll make sure they're here on time, blah, blah, blah. Now, what happens? There's no agency. Right. I break my leg. I ring Ernie Garnier and I say, I can't do the show on Friday. He's got three days to find another band. Right. Who, who's he going to go to? There's yeah. no agent. Yeah. So there were two agencies, Charlie Gray and Mike Calls, and they each had probably 10 to 15 bands. And so you would always find another band to replace when things fell over. So yeah, yeah. now if they fall over, and so the venues are just these little holes in the wall. Mm. Um, I don't see how you could get. A venue like... Well, actually, all the venues are, are closed. You walk past the Windsor Castle, it's just a hole in the wall. Yep. Um, Montes is nothing. Glue King, pot's Apartments. King's Arms of Apartments, I think. Main Street, which is such a good venue to play, is an office block. Mm. I actually don't know if there's a way.
0: So I've got an idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell <laughs> you, me. You have, to, you have to kind of give me some flexibility here it's not very well thought through um i I, in the local i've been researching local venues we've been we recently debuted a show and we wanted to start off with about 100 and 150 capacity and just you know make it financially work and whatever right we ended up going to the vic theater in devonport which had it's it's a cool place at pros and cons but it was cool um but in the process i was looking at all the venues like and i was thinking I want to take away the barriers for the audience. You know, I want the the parking to be okay and the access mm. to be okay. Um, a lot of the venues are all glass and steel and concrete and everything, so they sound terrible in the room. And you know, every every band is struggling to on stage and in the room to sound good, and the audience, of course, is getting sound fatigue and all the rest of it. Um, and then we've got we we always do weird things where we put like the bar beside the stage yeah. or the toilet beside the stage, or whatever. it just fucks with the whole dynamic. You know, <laughs> so I made a little list for myself my like perfect list of the, the, great, the right venue would tick all these boxes. And I was like, all right, that'll be my thing. And I went and looked at all the venues and tried to find the venue that ticked all the boxes. Couldn't find one. Found a couple of venues that ticked quite a few of the boxes. And then I started thinking about, um, I don't know much about the building industry, but I believe that builders, uh, they can get qualified and become like a signature builder or something. I, I think that's right, isn't it? Uh,
1: there is a yeah there's a threshold above which you are a
0: rated builder right exactly and I thought what if we had a rating system for venues five star four star three star so on so a venue that that ticks all the right boxes qualifies as a five star music venue and if they've got 80 percent of them they're four star and so on right cool And then what we do to incentivize them to to do that is the venues, for example, that are five-star, they get help, they get expertise, they get help with insulation, treating acoustics, putting stages in, that sort of stuff. We could even give them, if we had the right people on board, tax breaks or funding or or help with promotion or whatever. So they they get reinforced by the music industry or by the government um, because they've stepped up and qualified as a five-star venue. And the four-star venue gets a slightly diluted version of that right um in my opinion we would then give the venues the incentive the real incentive to become proper music venues which means happier bands happier audiences and the local scene could potentially start to thrive a bit
1: so you need to convince the people that are responsible in the venue
0: yeah well you need to incentivize them because they're trying to make money right they're they're i mean there's nothing wrong with that they're in business
1: but you're still going to find on a Friday night when the Hurricanes are playing the Crusaders, mm. no one's going to turn up. Yes. I mean, I mean, the gaming rooms have got to go. Right. But then Players Range wouldn't get any funding. Yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I think it probably comes down to not a lot of venues, but you need three or four, say in Auckland especially, right. large venues where someone is joining in on the we are going to make this happen who's in the bar mm. you know Ernie Garnier and those sort of guys that love having great music in their bars yeah
0: do you think there's something in my idea though
1: yeah it's <laughs> a lot of work
0: it's a lot of work it's yeah it's a lot of work <laughs> I don't know who but would I can do see it.
1: that you've got um, a teeming brain that could probably start
0: the wheel spinning well i yeah mate thank you i appreciate that um i don't maybe it's a is that something that the music commission is that their department i'm not
1: yeah i mean i would think so because they have an umbrella
0: yeah responsibility really right because i i think that a a real functional industry is bottom up i I don't think it can work top down you know And i think that's no, i think no, no. for all the for all the pros and cons about our industry i think that's that's got to be an urgent thing to try and address as the local market
1: it all comes down to stages mm. you can do you can have ableton live and spend 20 hours a week on it mm. but i still don't think you're going to create a vibe until you walk on a stage and everyone in the room is looking at you right as opposed to going yeah yeah what are you doing on sunday you know should we go right? Could you, uh, <laughs> yeah why don't we do it let's go to a gaming room we will go and watch tv watch the sport on tv and then we'll go to a coffee bar right. yeah <laughs> sorry this i just have to look at this okay we're moving house oh yeah 12 30 oh that's not very good something's happening in nine minutes and I don't think I'll come. well oh. you've got 12 30 12 30 is only 10 minutes away I might get there. Okay, fine. Don't, don't worry. Oh. oh. fine. I'm doing a podcast. Okay. <laughs> See ya. I will actually have to run away from you, Danny, though. Eh? That's all good. Good to spend some time with you.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's been a great conversation.
1: I need yeah. a piss. That's what I do. Okay, now. good. Well,
0: thank you for your time. Good to talk to you. You too. Thanks very much. It was great.
1: If you find what we're doing useful and you like this podcast please do like share and subscribe and give us a review on itunes